Would you please turn with me to Genesis chapter 17? About four months ago, I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I think it's fair to call it that. I was in Texas, and I was with a group of people, and we had the opportunity in the off-season to go into the AT&T Stadium where the Dallas Cowboys play. And so I had the chance to go with a group of people, and we walked on the field, which was really cool to be on the field where the Cowboys play. And as I was there, I found myself wishing that I had something with me while I was there. Anybody what I wish I had. I wish I had a football. Wish I had a football. Well, sure enough, after not too long, there were some guys that brought a couple footballs out so we could throw the football around the field. And then it caught my eye just off to the side over here, the big yellow goalpost. And after not too long, there were a few of us that were attempting to kick a 20-yard field goal through the goalpost at Cowboys Stadium. It was amazing. I will not tell you how many attempts it took me to finally get it through the goalpost, but score! I got it through. More discouraging than how hard it was to kick that short field goal, and more discouraging than how many times I missed, was the number of people that stood on the side and watched and wouldn't even attempt it. Once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Today's Sunday. It's likely you can see the Cowboys playing and and see those uprights. Maybe you could catch a, a, a pass in the end zone. And so many individuals just chose to say, you know what, I think I'll just watch. I think I probably could do it. Maybe it's possible, but I'm just going to stand back. When we think of what is possible and when we think of what is impossible, we must be intentional about not letting the devil define for us what is impossible. Of the things that God wants you to do, the devil would love to get his foot in there and have you thinking all the time, it can't be done. Don't listen to what the Bible says about that. Pay no attention to God's Word about that area of your life. That simply can't be done. When we look in Genesis chapter 17, we find the impossible. The impossible, how man would define it, but not how God would define it. Our enemy has been successful at defining what is possible and what is impossible, and it has left believer after believer sometimes confused, oftentimes stagnant, and you and I must allow God to define this for us. All that to take us to Genesis chapter 17. We find a 13-year gap taking place between the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17. You'll remember our study, the not-so-shining moment of Abram's life when they tried to bypass God's plan. And Abram went into Hagar, and they had a child, not through Sarah, but through Hagar, and Ishmael was born. And then we come to chapter 17. Fabulous lessons we learn 
from God's interaction with Abram here. The first lesson that I see is the promise that God keep the promises that God keeps are oftentimes revealed through his names. Have you had the privilege of doing a name study in God's word? As you look through, you will find when individuals go through a season of life and God is revealed to them in a very specific way, it is oftentimes then that we learn of a new name for God. Let's look at the first four verses, and we'll see at least a couple names that we'll highlight today. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. Now I want to point out two of the names that we find here. Sometimes when you're reading the name of God, it comes across as the word LORD, and it's all capitals, L-O-R-D, in all caps. This is what sometimes we call the name of God, Yahweh, and this is the personal name for God. That's what we find there in the very first line, Yahweh. But then we find another name for God. Did you see it? He calls Himself God Almighty. We refer to this name sometimes as El Shaddai. Have you heard of the name El Shaddai before? There's a famous song from several years back that helps us to remember it. El Shaddai is a wonderful title for our God. This is the very first time that it's mentioned in God's Word. And we also know that it's mentioned 35 times in the Bible. So when we think of 35 times mentioned in the Bible, and this idea of how big God is compared to how small man is, we need to understand that El Shaddai, how big God is and how small man is, this was used most in a certain book of the Bible. And that book, can you guess which book it was? The book of Job. When we think of Job and what he went through, God refers to himself as El Shaddai often to show Job just how wonderful and mighty he was. We're going to find the promises of God to Abram given again. These promises are repeated, and God's promises given to us must be seen in the light of God's character. How many promises have you found in God's Word? When you come across a promise, when you claim a promise, it needs to be seen in the light of God's character. I wonder if you, like me, have had the experience of, of loaning money to someone and having that person not pay you back. Anybody here had that experience before you loaned money to someone and they didn't pay you back? Okay, a, f a few of us have been down that road. When you loan money to someone, there's a few questions that you ask. H how much am I going to give them? Is this person credible? Am I going to see them again? Do they have a way of paying me back? All these questions come up. And if an individual goes down that road, they borrow money from you, and then they don't pay you back. That's a bitter lesson sometimes. The trust is violated. 
man will let us down sometimes, and it reveals the kind of confidence that you can have in the promise of a man. But God is different. When God makes a promise, we learn that He never fails to keep His promise. And you and I learn of God as we walk with Him. When you go through a time of need, when you go through a time of desperation, these are times that you learn that God has made promises and will keep those promises. And if you and I have not yet learned the magnificence of our God, then we are not going to trust Him for very big things. How big is the item that you're trusting Him now for? Does it feel impossible? Does it feel foolish almost to think that God will keep that promise? And God wants you and I to have very, very big things that we have our sights on. He does not want us stagnant, does not want us standing on the side watching. God gives His promises, and God oftentimes, we'll see in our life, and we see in the life of Abram here, God often declares His intentions before He brings something to pass. That's the next lesson here in Abram's life. Abram's name change confirms that there is not anything that is too difficult for God. God changes His name before he gives the fulfillment of the promise. Look in verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." We haven't spent much time talking about the name of Abram, so I want to mention it just for a few minutes. When we look at the name Abram, it had a meaning. There was something when his name was said that gave people a certain picture or a certain idea, and I want to suggest that possibly it was embarrassing for Abram because the name Abram means high father. And how many decades did Abram go introducing himself as high father without having any children at all. Can you, can you picture how that conversation went as he ch- traveled to a new territory? Well, hi there. Uh, you know, my name is uh, John. What's your name? Well, my name is high father. Oh, well, how many children do you have? He'd hang his head. I don't have any children. Now, through the unfortunate events of chapter 16, Abram does have a son now. He has Ishmael. And so maybe a little less embarrassing at this point, right? Now he can say he has a son. Hi, father. How many children do you have? I have a wonderful son. And God changes his name. And look what he changes it to. 
he changes, to, he changes it to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. Oh, God, I just got to the place where I wasn't so embarrassed introducing myself. Now I'll say, well, hi, my name is father of multitudes. <laughs> really? You're kidding. How many children do you have? One. And he's 99 years old. And when we see the change of his name, we see something very special about our God. And then we come across something new. Let's look in verses 9 through 12. And God said to Abraham, that's what it's going to be from now on, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Let's talk about that just for a moment. Circumcision, we understand, is not introduced to the world here in Genesis chapter 17. Circumcision had already existed. There were cultures that practiced this. Sometimes it was a cultural practice. Likely for some, it was for health reasons. But nonetheless, circumcision is not invented here. But what we find that's new is that this becomes an outward picture of God's covenant. God had already made this promise. And now God says this is going to be a picture of the covenant, a picture of the promise. Now, let me give you a quiz to do in your own minds. Can you think of another promise that God gave that there is a picture of that promise? We can go both directions in the Bible. If we go a little bit back in time, we can come to Noah. When God judged the world, He saved Noah and his family and put them on an ark. And God made a promise, I will never judge the world in this way again. And can you remember what was the picture of that promise? What did He give? The rainbow. When you see a rainbow today, you need to understand that that was God's symbol. God gave us that to remind us that he would not judge the world again in that way. So we go backwards and see Noah. When we fast forward to the most wonderful promise that I've ever experienced, and I hope you have too, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of salvation. When we fast forward to salvation, we understand that grace came to this world. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of mankind. And whosoever, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord and asks for forgiveness shall be saved. There's nothing that we can do to get that promise, but there is something that we can do as a testimony, as a picture of that promise. Baptism. God gave a command, all those who are my children are to be baptized. If you have experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ today, the Word of God is clear. Let this be known. 
And I'm happy for you to go and tell everybody individually. I would love that practice. If we started having people just make a list of all the folks in the church and go to them and tell them all individually how they came to Christ, I think that'd be super. I'd encourage you to do that. Having said that, there's one way that you can let everybody know all at once. I'm a follower of Jesus. God gave it to us in the New Testament. He gave us this picture of baptism. If you're a child of God, you ought to be baptized. It's how we tell others that we follow Him and that we've been saved. Now, just like circumcision was not, uh, wasn't introduced to the world in Genesis 17, baptism wasn't introduced at the day of Pentecost. We don't find baptism coming into the world for the first time when the church started. In fact, if you make a trip to Israel, and many of you have, you'll see some baptismal pools just outside the city of Jerusalem. It was for the purpose of cleansing before they would go in and worship. All that are born into Abraham's house at eight days old are to be circumcised. And who else gets circumcised here at the age of 99? Abraham is circumcised. This is very personal for Abraham. The circumcision is personal. The promised child, once again, that he is told about is very personal. And I think with Abraham, it was obvious that he had this personal relationship with his God. Maybe you've been in conversations where people will start to say what they think about God. Well, here's what I think about God. Here's what I think about this area of debate. And I think that Abram, Abraham was no different. I think that he went to a new place. People wanted to talk about their gods, and they wanted to talk about Abraham's God. Only Abram would not be one who would say, let me tell you what I, what I think about God. Instead, Abraham could say, let me tell you what I personally know of God. And that needs to be you and me. It is one thing to have an intellectual understanding about a God, something that we read in a book or we had a conversation with someone else about, but it is very, very different to know someone experientially. And on our journey, God wants us to experience Him, learn of Him, maybe learn a new name. When you find yourself in such a desperate way and you call out, and God shows up. God changes Abram's name, and He gives Abram's wife a new name, a beautiful name. We talked a little bit about Abram's name. It meant high father. It was changed to father of multitudes, and God's going to keep His promise. Sarai's name is not near as complimentary. The name Sarai actually means domineering and contentious. That was the meaning of her name. That's kind of a pitiful name to have. The next lesson that we see here is Sarai's name change reveals the value of her and her role in God's plan. Look in verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. She had the name Sarai, which meant domineering and contentious, and now she's called Sarah, which means, does anybody know? It means 
princess. Princess. And I can just imagine this 99-year-old man talking to his bride and saying, you see, princess, now even your name and my name are interwoven with God's promises. Abraham again receives these promises, the promise of the land, the promise of the blessing, the promise of the heir. And how must it have looked to this 99-year-old man and his 90-year-old wife to again hear this promise, they're going to get all this land and they're going to receive incredible blessings and there's going to be an heir that comes from this couple. If mankind were to look at all of those promises, specifically the one about an heir, and if they were to take just one word and stamp one word over those promises, I think that word would probably be the word impossible. Not possible. It cannot be done. And impossible is a word that is not in our God's dictionary. When God says yes, God means yes. And yet, how many of us have picked and choose which promises we have a confidence in? How many of us have taken those big things down? And we're not counting on God to keep those difficult promises. Let's not set Him up for failure. You and I have taken things that we previously prayed for, previously hoped for, a desire that God put within our heart, and we have kind of pushed them to the back, saying in our hearts, it'll never happen. God specializes in the things that man believes are impossible. I love the song that I learned so many years ago that we sing with kids sometimes. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. I think we as adults need to sing that sometimes. God specializes in the impossible. When God says yes, He means yes. When God makes a promise, He keeps a promise. So what can you and I do with a story like this in the life of Abraham today? Well, I think we need to ask ourselves the question, which of the names of God have I learned in my walk with Him? Some of you have been through a very challenging past couple years. Some of you in the past six months have faced some major struggles in your life. And some of you have learned something about the character of God as you traveled through those times. What names might He be teaching you in the upcoming months? He might teach you that His name is Shalom, Peace. You might learn in the upcoming days that we have a God who sees. He sees everything. 
He never goes to sleep. He never turns his face away from you. He sees and knows all. Some of you might learn the lesson that God is the God who provides. As we journey, He wants to teach us something about Himself. Which of the names of God have you learned through experience? And then another application. Have you identified with Jesus? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You should have God working in your life, and you should let people... It should not be a secret that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It should not be that the folks in your workplace and in your neighborhood would go years and then find out, oh, I didn't know you went to church. Follow Jesus Christ. It should be flowing out of us. And our brothers and sisters in Christ should be the first ones that we identify with. I would encourage you, if you've not been baptized, to take this symbol that God has given us that shows others of that promise, of that covenant, and celebrate that with others. There are so many who are content to watch because they don't know what to believe. And to be perfectly fair, they don't have their, they don't have their goals set all that high. I don't want God to fail me. I don't, want set, I don't want to set God up for a problem. God wants you to have incredible goals, goals that those around you would say, well, that's impossible. That could never happen. As I walk through all the things that have to take place for that to happen, it'll never work. God specializes in the impossible. And He wants to show you something of His character in your life so that when we get to heaven, we do not see a whole bunch of time that we wasted being idle and doubting. We find ourselves learning of God and seeing the incredible things that He wanted to do and how He allowed us to be a part of what He was doing. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, we walk before you on this day. And we thank you that you have called us to be your children. We praise you, Heavenly Father, for the forgiveness that was made possible because of the work of Christ on the cross. And we thank you for a day, for a day when we knew that we needed something besides ourselves. And at one point, we were something. At another point, we were something different. And maybe we can't remember that day exactly. Maybe we don't know exactly uh, when it took place. But God, we know that you have allowed us to be your children. And God, I find myself so often wanting to walk through and have all the answers before I will step out on faith. I thank you for pushing Abraham and I thank you for revealing yourself to him. We have the benefit of reading this after it's been accomplished, seeing you keep your promises. And yet, Heavenly Father, there have been millions and millions and millions of promises that you have made, and you have never once failed to keep your promise. And so would you allow us to set our sights high? Would you allow us to have goals that maybe even look impossible 
to those around. And we thank you that there is nothing impossible for you, our God. I'd like to give us a chance to pray today. While the piano plays through, would you challenge yourself? Maybe there was something that you years ago were asking God to do, you were praying for. Maybe there's been a person that you've talked to about Jesus and you've stopped. Maybe there's a coworker or a neighbor that you've invited to come to a church service or to have a Bible study and you've given up on that. Sometimes we give up too quickly. Maybe you want to renew that passion, renew that commitment. It could be there's someone here today, they've never prayed that first prayer of salvation, admitting that they are a sinner before a holy God and accepting the forgiveness that is offered by Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross to save sinful men and women. And even in this moment, you can pray, God, forgive me a sinner Make me your child. Amen.